Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for our fourth episode on site from the National Bank Open. And Mike, special guest for this one. Yeah, really excited to share that we've got the 15th seed here in Toronto, Hubert Hercatch, who joined me a couple of days ago to chat about his experiences here in Canada, the tournament so far at that point, and um, you know a whole bunch of other things that I'm excited to share with you guys. Hubert Hercatch, by the way, who just gave us maybe the match of the tournament. Unfortunately, it was in defeat, but boy, did he ever push world number one Carlos Alcaraz tonight on center court. No kidding. And uh, this episode feels timely in that sense because her catch really gave the world number one an incredible fight. And we know Alcaraz back playing his first tournament since Wimbledon and since that incredible title defeating Djokovic in five sets. I thought her catch was in great form tonight, particularly the first set was hitting the ball really, really clean. He's more of a relaxed player. Not he, He's not like a physical presence on the court, but he's very smooth, very fluid strokes. I think he moves well for a big man. Takes that first set, 6-3. Alcaraz battles back in the second. Uh, it was very even for much of the second set, kind of just trading back uh, holds of serve before Alcaraz uh, played a really strong tie break. I felt like QB maybe flinched a little bit in the breaker. And wow, did and he the not third, go away in the third? Set, My goodness. <laughs> yeah. So Alcaraz had complete stranglehold on the match. A 5-2 to two double break. Her catch rallies from the double break, and we get another tie break to finish it off. It was incredible. It was just incredible how that third set went because after the second set breaker where Alcaraz really cleaned up you know, quite easily, quite handily in that one, her catch didn't put up much opposition in the breaker at all. Uh, you thought that Alcaraz might run away with it. So when he was up 5-2, it kind of gave you know credence to that thought, and now that's what we kind of expected. And then Hergatch just wouldn't quit, and there were a couple of games that would get 5-3, 5-4, where there were great points between both of them. And then Alcaraz kind of laid an egg for a couple of games, and his, his game just went away. He was shanking him into the net. He was looking at his box, exasperated, and you kind of wondered, and I thought, well, he's 20 years old. Yeah, he's the number one. Yeah, he's the Wimbledon champion. But how much, you know, opportunities has he had to let a lead slip away like that when he's such a big favorite? And how is he then going to handle that? And he was able to tighten up and get it to the tiebreak. And there it kind of followed a similar script in that he raced ahead 5-1. And the breaker yeah. itself was not nearly as close as what we had seen for the previous 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, he had two match points, actually, serving a 5-2. Twice tried the drop shot, which hit the top of the net. Cheeky, <laughs> cheeky. <laughs> which I know it's a very effective shot for him. Um, but uh, he had a fun interview following the match with uh, Arash Madani of uh, sort of his mentality going into that tie break. And his mentality is go for it. Uh, don't worry about whether you're going to win or lose now that you're at this stage play your game style and go for it. And that works for Carlitos. But her catch, I, I thought, really put up a tremendous fight to push him to three sets. He got a great ovation walking off the uh, from the crowd as well. Yeah, huge respect from the crowd. I think a lot in the crowd were really shocked after the first set at what yeah. had happened. You yeah. know, they were so excited to see Alcaraz. There's been such a buzz around these courts all week long. I mean, Alcaraz is, is proving, I think, both in terms of ticket sales crowd reaction um that you know what big three you know it's actually incredible to me how smooth this transition has gone whereas i feel like two years ago here in toronto in that um event that was still during the pandemic and a little bit isolated to center court for fans i had felt like there was kind of this 
uncertainty amongst the crowd of how to act without the big yeah. three around. That vibe isn't here at all. I haven't heard anyone complain, oh, there's no Federer, there's no Djokovic, there's no Nadal. All I hear is super excitement at watching Alcaraz for the first time in Toronto. I really haven't heard their names brought up, which which is crazy. It's probably just us on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, but I, I'd say that's a positive. That's not like a disrespect to the three legends. We know Novak's going to be back anyway, and we know Novak is going to play the U.S. Open, and we hope Nadal is back healthy for 2024. Uh, but the fact is, we are in a new generation of tennis, and there is. More than just a familiarity, I think, with a lot of these faces now uh, that I think your Andre Rublevs, um, your your Medvedevs, Tsitsipas, these players are becoming very well-known staples here in Toronto where it, it is a big tennis crowd. These guys, Everyone coming out knows the sport. They're very knowledgeable. And we know Carlitos is like the rock star at, at the arena. And we may not see Nadal and Djokovic back here in Toronto. Nadal, I would say, yeah. almost certainly not. Right. Djokovic, too. Who knows in two years, right? And at that point, maybe he'll just play the four majors and no other tournaments. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, it's possible. To see what he can do there. Uh, one player we know will be back in two years and one who uh, definitely won some hearts, I think, tonight. Uh, and not just in the Polish community, which was very vibrant and present for all of his matches yep. here in Toronto, is Hubert Hercatch. Um, let's listen to my interview from earlier this week uh, with the number 15 seed. Happy to be joined right now from uh, ATP 15th seed here in the tournament. I believe Hubert Hercatch. Uh, welcome to Matchpoint Canada. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Uh, thanks for having me. So no easy wins on the ATP Tour, especially in a tournament like this one. How does it feel getting the first round win under your belt today? You know, it's always <laughs> good to win your first match because then uh, yeah, if you don't, you just go home. So, I mean, obviously, you know, playing Sasha Public, it's uh, always a challenge. He always comes up with some, you know, some uh, some under, 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 unorthodox shots uh, in, in difficult situations. So, it's, uh, you know, he's uh, he's been playing really well. He won Halle this year. So, I mean, he had a lot of success this year. The way this tournament is placed on the schedule after a bit of a break for some players with mm -hmm. Wimbledon ending and the first big hard court tournament, how do you normally find the first event here in Canada, just where it falls on the schedule and, and where your hard court game is at this time of the year? Well, I mean, I I really enjoy being in Canada. So so both of the tournaments here in Toronto and Montreal, I think there are, there are really great events. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's been... I mean, maybe I'm not in a spot that I wish to be this year at this point, but uh, by you now we're putting in the work with with the team every every single day. Being here in Canada, you of course had to pick up a hockey stick, I guess, <laughs> and play in the ball hockey challenge. Is hockey a sport that you enjoyed at all when you were younger, and and how was the experience playing against those NHL players? So, so in Poland, hockey is is not popular at all. So, so basically, you know, you like growing up like you you don't have a chance to you know to pick up a stick to to, to go ice skating and uh, so yeah i mean definitely you know it's a lot of fun to uh yeah just to, to play to play with the the best players in the world at the NHL. so i managed to score a goal so 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 actually it was it was quite fun and uh, yeah definitely you know those those guys are just just incredible with their skills so that wasn't your first time picking up a hockey stick or uh... well i mean the probably already like third time here uh, here in canada so 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 usually usually it's here no way to go um other canadian things that you were doing in a sense were uh, practicing with canada's milos raonic mm -hmm. who we're all very happy to see back here at his home tournament mm -hmm. um i'm not sure if you've played him before on the atp 
I did. I did. I did play him. That was, yeah, a couple of years ago. Okay, so now that he's coming back after this time off, uh, first of all, what's that serve like? Is it exactly what you remembered? Has he still got the same strength of serve as before? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got it, you know, and uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> it's, it's not fun to return his serve. And, and what do you think he can do if he's healthy coming back to the tour after two years off? And what did you see from him in that practice session? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, he's, he's surfing. You know, it's just really crucial for him to, yeah, just to hold surf. And then, then just that's, that's a lot, puts a lot of pressure on the opponent. And, uh, yeah, his game is really big and uh, yeah, really, really powerful. So, so obviously, you know, he can, he can definitely, you know, make some, make some great results. Um, Got to ask you, um, in terms of picking your practice partners then, is that something that your coach, Craig Boynton, takes care of? Or do you just sort of work that out between some of the players? How does that whole dynamic work when you're at a tournament like this? So so usually it's just uh, my coach, Craig Boynton, is doing that ahead of, uh, yeah, ahead of arriving to the tournament. Like, for example, yeah, we're already, like, set for the U.S. Open practices. Already? Some, yeah, already. Wow. So, so, so it just... Uh, Yes, he likes to plan ahead of time and, and to yeah, pick the pick the right guys as well who, who I'm friends with. So yeah. When you're up against someone in practice, say another top twenty mm -hmm. player like yourself mm -hmm. and you're going at it back and forth, are you showing them everything you can do in practice? Or is there part of you that holds back just a little bit maybe to retain some competitive advantage mm -hmm. for when you play them in a match? Well, I think practice, you know, might must be practical. So so sometimes, you know, the next day you're gonna play against the guy who likes to play certain shots so so you try to play to those parts of the courts which uh, today you those are the strengths of of your today's opponent so you're not necessarily you know wanting to to win per se the the, the practice match you wanna yeah you wanna win the practice for for yourself so you wanna do the right things and uh, just just work on the yeah just work on your process I saw a Canadian junior Kayla Cross on the court watching your practice. She tells me that her father and hmm. your father know each other, so that's a cool yes. connection. Um, and obviously she looks up to you as someone who's looking to have a professional hmm. career. Who did you look up to when you were younger in terms of tennis players, whether it be male or, or female hmm. tennis players as a kid? Well, obviously I looked up to, to Roger Federer and... Uh, yeah, I mean, those obviously he was uh, he was my idol since since I was a kid, and uh, then we had uh, in Poland we had Michael Pszczesny who was top hundred when I was uh, when I was uh, in that you know, when I was teenager. So so he's from the same city, so so I knew him from from back then. Were you sad to see Roger go when he finally hung up the, the yeah, tennis definitely, racket? Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, it's uh, yeah, sad moment for the for the tennis. And yet you'll always have that, um, you know, I guess I don't want to call it a record, but achievement of mm. being the last player to uh, play him at, at Wimbledon. That must be a, a special memory for you, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. You know, playing, you know, playing Roger anywhere in the world, it was, it was something special. The, the energy, the crowd that, that you know, he, he always brought with himself was something amazing. And then, then obviously Wimbledon is, is even more special. So, so that, that combined was just just amazing experience. He was one of the nicest players ever on the tour. I mean, just look at how many times he won the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship mm -hmm. Award. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also known as one of the real nice guys on the tour. Is that something that you take pride in, being a role model to kids looking up and, and having that reputation? Well, I think I try to, you know, I try to be myself, try to be nice, uh, you know, to, to others and be uh, as well, like, uh, you know, to be, be a little bit of a, of a role model. So, so, yeah, just try to, you know, be, be the best version. 
with that big three era now ending with Roger being retired, Rafa Nadal, hopefully one more season mm-hmm. in him, but also mm-hmm. near the end, mm-hmm. and Novak Djokovic not getting any younger, do you sense a real opportunity for guys like yourself to try and seize that power, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and the top spots of the game? How eager are you to want to get there? Well, I think everyone's eager. I mean, Carlos did an amazing job last two seasons, winning winning Grand Slams, winning Wimbledon, US Open. So, so that's something that's uh, really incredible. And you know, he he just brought so he's bringing so much energy, like like Rafa to the course. I think you know, he's uh, he's, he's tough to play against uh, the player like this. I think a lot of players would say the same about you too. So, uh, <laughs> congrats on your success and uh, all the best here in Toronto this year. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. There you have it, Mike's conversation with Hubert Hurkacz, Miami Open champion. And its I, d- I didn't really get a chance to watch the ball hockey challenge that happened over the weekend, but I assume Hurkacz does not have much experience with ball hockey. <laughs> no, and many of them didn't. And uh, you know me, tennis and hockey are my two sports, so I can never miss the ball hockey challenge. Yeah. In fact, as a goaltender myself who still plays, uh, I, I have been trying to push my way in there to be one of the two goalies at the ball hockey challenge. And I'm making some progress, okay, between... Uh, I like it. Yeah, I'm making some progress. I'm hopeful for 2025 I'm going to crack that lineup. Uh, and hopefully by then I can still play a, a half-decent you know, job in net. But I never miss it. And it's just fun to see these ATP guys who are in there giving it a go. And I'm always surprised that they would put themselves in that position before a big tournament like this happens because the risk of injury, like I always breathe a sigh of relief when it's over and everyone has made it out unscathed. Yeah. But to see someone like Hurtcatch there giving it a go, and I mean, he mentioned, um, you know, in Poland, hockey is not really that big of a deal. Um, I was trying to think of how many Polish NHL players I could think of from years past. Marius Tchaikovsky comes to mind who played a bit with the Leafs and the Habs. Um, but otherwise, there sure aren't many but good for him for giving it. A, and as he said, he scored a goal, which was, you know, a highlight for very for him. nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of the interview that I really, first of all, super nice dude. Yes. Like very chill. And as you sort of mentioned his game and we're describing it earlier on the court, it kind of matches a little bit his personality off the court, too. I think so. I feel like in fact, sometimes I feel like he could show a little bit more fire on court. And that might be something that's missing from his game to take him to the next level is having a little bit more of that. Uh, killer spirit, fighting spirit. Um, but nonetheless, super great guy to talk to. I mean, he could be a future winner of the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. That wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, and I think, like, look, he talked about Federer and how much he looked up to him as a kid and how incredible that must have been to to be the last man to beat Federer at Wimbledon. No kidding. Uh, I mean, imagine what that would feel like, right? Like beating your <laughs> idol at their best tournament and and never in the most never historic comes... place in in you know tennis history as well. Uh, no, it's it's incredible, and it, that reminds that her catches had some serious highs in the sport, and you know there's a lot of these guys inside the top twenty, or just any player on tour who has not had a Masters 1000 title in their career. Even Andre Rublev finally got his first this season. Hercatch has a Miami Open title to his name, which is incredible. And like right now, I believe he's, you know, 17th in the world. And you yep. you kind of look at the ATP landscape and where he fits in. And, and for me, he's a guy, if he can really peak, he's someone who can make a push at Wimbledon because his game is so well suited to grass. If we saw earlier this uh, this Wimbledon, he really pushed Novak Djokovic in that match. I think he served over 40 aces. He had opportunities in a couple of tie breaks. It was a four setter, and Djokovic just was hanging on for dear life uh, trying to return his serve. 
there's some players in the top 20 who I don't know if you feel the same, but I look at them and I think that's probably their peak. I don't necessarily see them getting into the top 10 or I don't necessarily see them being Grand Slam contenders at any point in their career unless major progress is made. Yeah. Herkatch is one I look at and I say yes to the top 10. I say yes to contending for Grand Slams. Yeah, and he, he's been in the top 10 before. I, I think his career high is actually nine, which he achieved in 2021. And you you know Wimbledon is like the wild card slam for me, where you can see the emergence of of a type of game style that works so well on that surface, and Hercatch is going to have his opportunities there, amongst, I think, other hardcore surfaces as well. One other thing I want to say before we move on from the interview, I found it really interesting um, talking about practice partners and how players pick their practice partners. And he said his coach does most of that ahead of time, which doesn't surprise me because I think most players kind of leave that to the coach to take care of. Uh, What did surprise me is how far in advance he says that he's got this planned out. They've already got all his practice partners planned and picked for the U.S. Open. Yeah, that's that's kind of remarkable. That's um, um, like Craig Boyne and his coach. Good job. Kudos for <laughs> being so organized. That yeah, you, I, I don't think people on the outside, and myself included, maybe we always uh, realize and appreciate how difficult a job it is to be a member of the coaching team for one of these ATP or WTA players. It's a full-time gig, which is incredibly demanding. Such a hard profession as well, because how long do you really stay in that role? We see coaching changes all the time. Especially if you've got a demanding player, right? Like a, a Nick Kyrgios, who doesn't have a coach and probably for good reason. Yeah. Um, or I think of someone like, I don't know if demanding is the right word, but Andy Murray gives his box a lot of grief. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know if I could handle that amount. Of, no, that's fair. I don't know if I could take on that amount of stress, secondary stress. Yeah. I think coaching someone like Hubert Hercatch is probably a dream gig as yeah. a coach because he seems like just such an agreeable guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's so well liked on, on tour, which we've uh, touched on. Um, we'll also touch on the run from Milos Raonic, which has finally come to an end as he fell in straight set. 6-3, 6-3 to American Mackenzie McDonald. Mackie McDonald into his first ever Masters 1000 quarterfinal. Nice uh, story. Look, c- credit to him. He's, he's played great all week. Uh, three straight set victories, taking out Andre Rublev as well in the previous round. So he's playing awesome. Uh, for Milos, I think this result in the match itself was surprising for a lot of people just the way he had played in the previous two. It, it didn't seem so, and I don't want to take away from uh, Mackenzie McDonald, but it seemed like Milos was not the same version of himself that we saw in the first two rounds. Yeah. And it's kind of understandable uh, from a fitness standpoint, uh, from a how is your body going to hold up to you know a grueling three-set match in the opening round. Uh, understandable that you might not have it all there, you know, in that third match. And it seemed like a bit of a step back. The serve didn't have the same amount of pop. It was not routinely passing that 200 kilometer per hour, per hour, um, you know, um, threshold. Thank you. (laughs) That's why there's two of us on this podcast. Exactly. Fill in the mistakes. ah, Brain cramp. Um, And so it was noticeable that something wasn't quite there for him. The forehand wasn't as strong either. He just didn't seem to have the same zip as he had in the first two matches. And I feel like the crowd too, not to point the finger, but like the daytime crowd is not as electric as a nighttime crowd. Well, and keep in mind, we, we did have a lot of patches of rain, like a pretty significant rain delay, which pushed back, you know, they played five games. I just feel like a nighttime crowd could have, not saying it could have turned the tide, but maybe given just a little extra push to him, a little extra support and zip. The yeah. crowd seemed a little bit flatter during the day session as well. 
Um, and I think all of us kind of got ahead of ourselves a little bit when we looked at the draw and, and who he was going to play next and thought, wow, Mackenzie McDonald, that's way better than six-seated Andre Rublev. <laughs> yeah, look, guilty as charged. I, I think I did that our last episode, thinking that certainly the draw was opening up for him. Uh, 32 unforced errors in a 6-3, 6-3 match is, is just not the stats we're used to for Milos. And he kind of acknowledged that in his press conference, saying he had a lot of sloppy mistakes, which is true uh, on both the forehand and the backhand wing. just wasn't really straight striking the ball cleanly as he was, particularly. I mean, I, I know he beat Taro Daniel in straight sets, but for, for me, the, the standout match, which we're going to remember, I think, for a long time because it was such an electric atmosphere night session beating world number 10 Francis Tiafo in, in just a showdown that had so much drama, intrigue, and the return after five years to get a win uh, back here uh, 10 minutes down the road from where he grew up, I think, was so special. So many positives. For him, I think this is a great building block, a great step forward. I think it probably proved to him and others that he can still be a very competent, top-level type player on the ATP Tour. How how high can he reach? That remains to be seen, and how his body can respond to playing, maybe not week in, week out, but playing on a semi-regular basis, which you would imagine he's hoping to do. Um, I mean, the aces were down too, right? Obviously, yeah. you're going to be you're not going to touch 37 aces again in a in a straight set loss, but. 37 aces in the first match, something like 18 in the second, I believe, and then only nine, if memory serves correctly, today. So there was definitely something not quite clicking on that serve. Um, but great to see him back here. I really do hope that we see him back two years from now. He said today he doesn't even know where he'll be 12 months from now. Yeah, that's uh, And fair. that's just being realistic and honest. And and I like the honesty that we received from him in press all week long. Like, he wasn't holding back. He wasn't sugarcoating anything. He was quite descriptive about, you know, what this all meant to him on an emotional level to be back. Um, you know, he had talked about how things were so quiet before returning to the tour. Quiet in terms of not facing questions from both the press and people on a day-to-day -day basis. Quiet in his practice sessions, which were held pretty much closed door. And here he was back for the first time in a very noisy environment and threshold again with all these fans and media and everything. And I think he really felt glad to be back in that sort of um, circle. Yeah, very, very well said. And then we look forward to seeing him at Flushing Meadows again at the U.S. Open, uh, which is maybe the next stop for him as he continues on. Uh, we're going to move along now with uh, our thanks to Hotel X, who's the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. And if you're looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation, look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort. With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there's something for everyone in the family. But that's not all Hotel X has to offer, with the luxurious amenities, from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar. There's so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. And Mike, you might also know of this place downtown. We've talked about it. It's at Richmond and Duncan. They have the amazing patio, perfect CN Tower views. Rendezvous, described by BlogTO as Toronto's most epic outdoor patio ever, continues their National Bank Open viewing party uh, running right through August 13th. Check it out. You'll have a chance to win tickets as well. Int entry is free. They have amazing food and beverage. Visit Rendezvous down at Richmond and Duncan. And as we continue with our episode, uh, I mean, we were treated to one incredible night match, Carlos Alcaraz beating 
our guest Hubert Hurkacz in a three-setter. Unfortunately, we didn't get the second one on the schedule. Yannick Sitter was lined up to face Andy Murray, which I think would have been a very exciting round of 16 uh, encounter. Instead, just before action, uh, Murray for, uh, forced to pull out of this one due to an abdominal strain, which puts Sinner into the quarterfinals. Uh, I'll just read because we had the update from him. He actually came on court uh, and told the crowd. It's classy why touch. He was, I, I thought it really was why he's pulling out. He said he had a very similar issue last year in the tournament in Stuttgart before Wimbledon. It forced me to miss the Queen's Club tournament. Took me about 10 to 12 days before I was feeling good again. This is not as bad as that, but the danger, if you compete and play on it, is you make it worse. I'm really sorry. Thank you. So there you go. It um, ain't it ain't easy getting older, let me tell you, <laughs> right? And so at, these at are the age, things, you know, this is the right move that you're going to deal with. Uh, and obviously, he wanted to play. Leaving it to the last moment is, you know, not a jerk move on Murray's part. I think quite the opposite. That he wanted to give himself as much time to hopefully feel some sort of improvement to step out there on the court because it was really announced just moments before he was to go out there. Yeah. Um, but it is disappointing because first of all, that match was one that we circled when the order of play came out. What a great back-to-back, Hercatch-Alcaraz, followed by Murray against Sinner. No kidding. Up-and-coming Sinner against the veteran Murray. I'm a little disappointed for the old guys because I was getting ahead of myself thinking, boy, a Monfils-Murray quarterfinal. Wouldn't that be one for the older 30-plus sort of crowd to to take in? Uh, now we get Monfils-Sinner, which is also going to be terrific. Oh, for sure. Right? And look, there have been a bunch of upsets in this tournament which have taken away some of the key pieces. I know tournament director Carl Hale, I looked at him as uh, Alcaraz was slowly letting things slip away in that third set, (laughs) seemingly, and I could only imagine the stress he was going through. Um, But now we have, you know, quite possibly Alcaraz emerging in the top half against perhaps a Sinner or a Mofis. Either would be terrific. And if you look at the bottom... Definitely more wide open with that McDonald Davidovich Fakina match, which I don't think anybody had on their um, you know pre tournament bracket challenge. Yeah. Um, and then we've got um, Med. I mean Medvedev really looks like he's got a nice half of the draw, and he's been settling into his hard court form quite nicely this week. Yeah, I, I mean if we talk about a couple of the matches that we saw, I mean I watched a little bit of Davidovich Fakina defeating Kasper Ruud in three hours, and boy was he he was really mentally tough in this match. Uh, so a lot of credit goes to the Spaniard. I didn't think Ruud pay, played poorly. Uh, but Rude had an opportunity to serve it out in the third at 5-4. Fukina kind of really dug in on his return game and applied pressure. Rallies wins that 7-6 in the third in three-plus hours. That was quite a match over on grandstand. Alex Dimenauer is on quite a run here, uh, taking out Taylor Fritz. That was a crazy That was a crazy match that started with Fritz up 5-1 in the first set yeah. before Dimenauer came over and took it in a tie break. Um, and it went three sets, and Dimenauer then in the third ran away with it six to one. I mean, I was watching the match in the earlier stages, and first of all, Dimenauer's foot speed, which everyone's heard about, yes, it's something else to see live. It's, what a scrambler! <laughs> it's incredible. And and Fritz, uh, you know, I don't know what happened in that first set because I saw the scoreline five one. I thought, oh, I got to get over there to get some pictures and catch some of this. It could be over quickly. Yeah. Then I got sidetracked by the Vashik Pospisil doubles match, which unfortunately ended with a whimper, uh, with him double faulting on match point. Clearly, Vashik is not 
completely healthy yet with that elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time I got to the grandstand, I said to someone, because I couldn't see, there were so many people waiting to get in, I couldn't see the scoreboard. I asked someone who looked like they were seven feet tall, hey, what's the score? They were looking over everybody, said, oh, uh, the first set just ended in a tie break. I'm like, what, what are you talking about, a tie break? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's tennis for you. You just never know what can happen, how quickly things can can change on a dime like that. No kidding. And uh, I mean, we saw it with the, the Alcaraz Hercatch in the, in the third set, although Car- Carlos came through there. But uh, yeah, Dimenauer just continuing his run. He opened with a great win over Cam Nori. I watched a lot of that match as well. Uh, so he will take on Danil Medvedev. And I, I really like the way Medvedev plays on these courts, it's especially this portion of the season. It seems like when he's at his absolute peak, and he played a great match against Lorenzo Musetti. Uh, some people I talked to, I saw a little bit, uh, but winning that 6-4, 6-4, they were saying there were two very tight sets, and Musetti kind of threw the kitchen sink at him. And Medvedev, the way he moves on these courts, the way he counter punches and defends, you mix that in with a big-time serve. Uh, I, I really think he has a great path to probably make the final through the bottom half. And I sure hope so, because I've been enjoying his press conferences as much as, I mean, I put him and Monfils, I think right now, right yeah. up there at the top in terms of players who are left in the draw. I was really enjoying Milos's press conferences too, for reasons we already spoke about. Um, but Medvedev is, is so entertaining, and you got to have a little uh, one-on-one with him running a uh, Q&A session for fans at some point today, too. I did. It was great. Uh, it was in the uh, Premium Lounge series, and it was kind of fun. We were trying to hold back the surprise that a, a top player will be arriving for a Q&A. And How long did you have to hold that surprise for? <laughs> well, eventually, we told them a top three player will be showing up to the lounge, and uh, you know, some people in the uh, audience started to piece it together as they looked over and noticed Carlos Alcaraz is about to step on court. <laughs> so who else could it be? I don't think Novak Djokovic took a flight to Toronto for Q and A, uh, so uh, they really enjoyed it, and uh, you know he was he was great interacting with the crowd who got in a couple questions. He was funny and loose and light. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Danilo Impress. And and now we're moving to the stage of the tournament quarterfinals. We're getting down to it. Eight men left in singles, and the tournament gets a little bit quieter. There's not quite the same amount of buzz and electricity around the ground. Not the same number of courts all in action, but the matches hold that much more importance, and you can see it with the players. Uh, as they get to this stage of the tournament, dialed in a little bit more, less loose in their you know pre-match warm-ups and whatnot. And hopefully we're going to see some terrific top-level tennis on center court from here through till final Sunday. Yeah, and uh, just to, to quickly run over your quarterfinal matches, with day sessions starting, Mackie McDonald against Davidovich Fakina, which to me kind of a coin flip match because they're both on such great runs right now. Uh, Dimenauer against Medvedev, that will be a second one on center court. And then the night session will get Alcaraz against Tommy Paul, who beat Carlos in Montreal last year. So he can take a little confidence over the fact that he beat him in Canada. And then Mulfis Sinner, which will be the second night match. I mean, I've been waiting to see Sinner play the night match. So. Are we allowed to get excited for the second night match? Or is it now after what happened tonight, we got to just be careful? And like now I'm, now I'm concerned Mulfis could have physical issues. Right? Like, uh, please take the court, Kyle. Uh, and he's been so electric all week. Uh, just watching him play has been phenomenal. I think they would play such an athletic match. Uh, keep checking back with us. We are going to have a few more uh, NBO episodes of match point canada and for those of you who have found us through the national bank open app and are coming to us for the first time match point canada is not just isolated to this week we go all year long we're in our fifth year as the official podcast of tennis canada also members of the tennis channel podcast network and we put out weekly episodes uh throughout the year 
just this week we put out a few extra ones because of our incredible access to players and you know that being said we are going to have uh, some more interviews coming as well this week so and a giveaway I don't want to say what I'm not going to give away the giveaway but there's going to be a giveaway that people are definitely going to want to listen to yeah um, so check back this week but also check back beyond this week for uh, what me and Ben have uh, planned for the rest of the summer and the rest of the year yeah, exactly. Thanks so much to uh, Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. For the episode, guys, we will talk to you next time.